All right. He's not leaving. So, uh, <laughs> can breathe a sigh of relief. That was fun, though. Hey, uh, good morning to everyone. I want to welcome uh, everyone across all of our campuses and those of you online. For those of you who may not know, uh, this is uh, Ryan Bramlett. Ryan is our downtown campus pastor. Uh, give it up for Ryan. That feels good. And uh, uh, Ryan, uh, here at the beginning of the year, we have made an adjustment to his uh, title and his role here that we just are excited about. We wanted to make the entire church aware of it as well. Uh, Ryan's going to continue to lead our downtown campus, but in addition to that, we're also tacking on to his job description uh, the title of teaching pastor. And that just means that he's going to continue to share the, the preaching load around here. He's going to be working with content development uh, across all of our teams. And uh, this really affirms uh, Ryan's calling, uh, Ryan's gifting, but even more importantly, uh, his character. Uh, this is the first time we've ever had a teaching pastor position in our church. And uh, Ryan has the character for it. And I just want you to know uh, how much I love this guy. And uh, it's been amazing to me to watch uh, the work that God has done in his life. Many of you know his story because he shared it from this platform before. But he came at the invitation of his wife. He was not a follower of Jesus. Came with somewhat skeptically, a little bit guarded. Uh, I can remember um, in his first few years, he sat right over there. Uh, because I have a tendency to find the people who listen or at least pretend like they're listening really well. And I just look at them. And Ryan would sit over there and he would nod his head a lot. And he would just like that. And, and uh, he would take notes. And I was always just like, man, who is that guy? And uh, we get the privilege of crossing paths and getting to know him. And uh, just to see the work that God is doing in his life is just simply remarkable. And uh, I've said this to Ryan uh, in private. I want to say it publicly, uh, that he has a gift that you just can't teach, but he's teachable. And that's pretty special. And so I'm excited for him. And I want to pray over uh, Ryan, and then I'm going to turn him loose uh, to, to rip it here today. Father, we come to you right now, and I thank you for this man, and I thank you for the work that you've done in his life, it's remarkable. And it's humbling and it's exciting. And uh, I'm even more excited about the future ahead. Uh, to be able to run with Ryan, to be able to do this uh, with him is just really exciting. God, I thank you for the health of our church, that um, there is no competition, that it's just, we, we know who we are. We're flawed human beings and you've chosen to use us as a mouthpiece and that's all we are. We give you all the glory for it. We pray that uh, your name would be exalted higher through our proclamation. And uh, God, I pray that you would be with Ryan's family, his, his wife, Stephanie, and their beautiful children, uh, Campbell, Reese, and Veda. God, we just thank you so much for them. And uh, we just uh, pray that today they would feel the love from our church family as he uh, steps into this uh, new role and calling uh, that he is equipped and gifted for. And so we uh, ask this right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, could you give it up for our teaching pastor, Ryan Bramlett? Second time, um, but when you rehearse it, you guys aren't there, so it makes it <laughs> a whole lot different. But 
thank you so much. And some of you know, uh, like he said, a little bit of my story, but just to know how many things had to happen for today to happen is, is, is just wild. And Aaron's right, I did, I used to sit right over there, and then he baptized me right over there. Um, my life was completely and forever changed around here. And uh, there's so many moments that we could go back to, but I just want to circle back to one, just to give you just an idea of how wild this really is. It was 2012, eight years ago, it was before I was ever on staff here, I sent Aaron an email. I sent Aaron an email that I almost did not send. I, I wrote it and then I just put it down. I saved it in my drafts. I was like, I don't know. And all I wanted to do was just encourage him and let him know that his teaching was completely wrecking me. And I went back and forth and finally I just, I just sent the email. And me sending the email and what he did with the email, it completely changed the rest of my life. So I just wanna show you this, this clip. Take a look at the screen. Revelation is a revealing of Jesus Christ. I can't say that enough as we conclude this series. I got this email a couple weeks ago from somebody in our church, and I, I wanted to uh, read it to you because he communicates this thought so well just in his own words. He said, hey, Aaron, um, reading Revelation, or at least attempting to, before we jumped into this sermon series, has been eye-opening, to say the least, as I see a clear picture of the imagery that explodes from the pages of Revelation. I think that a lot of people label Revelation with the same stereotype that I certainly gave to the church as a whole before I ever attended one. Simply put, I saw the church as not worth it. I didn't see the relevance of it. All I could see from the outside in was the craziness. I couldn't see past the warfare and the bias and the misinterpreted descriptions that had been leaked into my brain. He's talking about just the reputation of the church at large. Nothing outside of the church could have ever shown me what the church was. I believe the same thing, could be, same thing could be said of Revelation. Looking from the outside in, things seem blurry and distorted. But reading through the entire book of Revelation has enabled me to focus on Jesus. I saw this connection here recently become even clearer as my wife was telling me about a conversation that she had with another woman in town who attends another church regularly. She told her that our church was currently going through a series on Revelation. And she said... Why would they do a series on Revelation before Christmas? Because that's how we roll, is why. All right? No, that's stupid. Okay, so, so her reaction to Revelation was one of death, destruction, dark imagery, and the end of the world. Not a revelation of Jesus. Not a revelation of his control and planned ending of the world. Not a revelation of the beautiful description of heaven. Listen to this. I love how he said this. I wish I would have said it this way. Somehow the negative is enhanced and the message is missed. Our focus is taken off of Jesus before he ever gets a chance to be revealed. So that, yeah. One, can we celebrate how well this man is aged? He's really moving in the right direction. But the fact that I wrote that email and that he read it from this stage, that was unbelievable. But there was a line in that, and you probably didn't catch it, but I'll never forget it. As he was reading that email, he said, I love the way he said this. I wish I would have said it like this. That moment, eight years ago, was the first time in my life that I ever thought maybe 
God could use me to preach. Maybe God had given me something that was worth saying, and it completely changed the trajectory of my life. Aaron, I just wanna thank you, man, for believing that I had something to say that was worth sharing and for believing that I still do. Um, can we just give it up for that man right now? For the man that he is, the leader that he is, the preacher that he is. <sighs> Where do we go from here? Um, so today, uh, today we're in this series called FOBO. And what that stands for is a fear of better options. And maybe you've heard the term um, FOMO, fear of missing out. So the same guy coined both phrases. And here's the big idea behind FOBO. It's where we get locked into a world of maybes, where nothing seems clear and we're constantly searching for that perfect answer or that perfect way or that perfect spouse and in the meantime, instead of just making a decision or moving, making a little bit of progress, we just stop and halt everything, and everything stops. We become paralyzed by fear. And what we're going to look at today is kind of how those fears of better options find their way into our relationships, specifically around two big things. One, how do I find the one, and then how do I keep the one? How do I find this one person that I'm gonna spend the rest of my life with? And then how do I stay committed to them even in the midst of all the fears and the worries and questioning, are they the one? And before we get jumping into the text and, and rolling today, I just wanna take a moment and just acknowledge the room. There are so many people here in different places from everyone here at Northwest and all the campuses that are in different spots when it comes to relationships. Some of us are in the best relationships of our lives, and you walked in here holding hands with your girlfriend or your spouse, and you just looked at your boyfriend and just said, I love you. No reason, just I love you. And you guys got out there and you were pouring each other's coffee, and you were putting the sugar in for each other, and you were rubbing noses, <laughs> and we saw you, and we didn't like you out there, and we don't like you in here. <laughs> no, there's people all over the place. There's people that just came in here after a breakup, after a divorce. There are people here today that are here because of an ultimatum. As a last ditch effort to keep your relationship together, there are so many things going on. And with so many open wounds and fresh wounds, any talk on relationship, maybe right now you've already started to sit back in your seat and like, this one is not for me. Can I ask you to, to lean in though instead? Even in the pain, even when you're thinking, I don't know if this has anything for me. And it's not because I believe I have something incredible to say, it's because God's word is powerful and God usually speaks at the times where we least expect him to show up. So would you, would you lean in and give me grace as I walk through some really tough situations? You guys with us on that? All right, so let's, let's dive right in. How do I find the one? And we're gonna kick this off by looking at Ephesians chapter five, starting in verse 31. This is kind of like a big summary of, of, of marriage from a Christian worldview. Look at this. It says, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery. But it is an illustration of the way 
Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So that's kind of like the big umbrella when we get to this idea of how do I find the one. It's how do I find the one that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. But over the years, we've kind of, especially within our culture today, we've kind of shifted that to this idea of a soulmate. How do I find this perfect person for me that is out there that we will just match up perfectly and everything is going to be great? How do I find that person? And within where we are right now, within technology and dating apps and social media, it can really feel like maybe we can find this perfect person. We scan thousands of people and we either swipe left or right, like, nope, don't like you, mostly based on their face. Like, nope, you're not the one. That You might be the one. You're definitely not the one. And we go through this idea thinking if we just look hard enough and we wait long enough, then we will find this perfect person. And maybe that's where you are right now. And maybe you're sitting there going, how do I find this perfect person? Can you tell me? I'm going to tell you. And I know it's early in the sermon. You're like, wow, this is really good. All the way, you're just getting right to it. So here it is. And don't go sharing it with people. Like this is from me to you, all right? Here it is, though. How do I find the one? How do I find my soulmate? You ready? You can't. You won't, and you haven't. You can't. There is no perfect person out there for you. You won't. It doesn't matter how long you wait, and you haven't. And you don't need to nudge the person next to you and let them know how not perfect they are right now. But just, just, let's just process for a moment and show all the fears that this idea can even bring into your life, this idea of a soulmate that there's one person out of the more than seven billion people on this planet, and then it's your job to find them. Like somehow you're just gonna be going through life, you're on the subway, and then out of nowhere, music starts, and you just start drifting towards them, and then you find yourself leaned up against them. How are you? It's not gonna happen. We live in Indiana, we don't even have a subway system, for one. So just let go of this idea and think about what it's like to be on the other side of those odds. When you feel like you're competing against seven billion other people, that there's all these better options out there. No wonder first dates are filled with lies and dating profiles are filled with lies. You feel like you're competing against everyone. And let's just go to the point of this idea of a soulmate. It's, it's not from the Bible. The idea of a soulmate, it goes back to at least the ancient Greeks. And the idea was that the gods created man and woman as one, but then right before they were born, they split them in half. And then it was your job to find your other half to make you whole. But that's not the picture that we get from Ephesians. In Ephesians, it says two become one, not two halves become whole which is a very different thing. And it's one that we need to start with and just be foundational. Because if we're looking for someone to be my soulmate, meaning you are going to fulfill me, you are going to complete me, that weight, giving someone the weight of carrying your soul, it will crush them. No one is able to sign up for that. No one can hold on to that weight, at least here on this planet. 
And maybe you're thinking, okay, if there is no soulmate, if there is no perfect person, then what chance do I have? You have Jesus. You have Jesus, and he has this crazy idea called marriage, and it's this process where two messed up people get together, and it's not about being perfect, but it's about saying, I'm committing myself to you, and I'm going to love you through it, no matter what. Because we're going to be running together, we're committed to one another, that's what makes them the one. It's when I say, I'm saying yes to you, and I'm saying no to everyone else. And it's when I decide to love you every single day, like Jesus loves you, which means I wake up on the good days, I'm loving you. I wake up on the bad days, I'm loving you. I wake up when you're ugly, and I still say, I love you. It's every single day, day in and day out. Is there anyone in the room today that's in a relationship like that, where you know the person is fighting for you, you know the person loves you? There is nothing like it that we can get to this spot of knowing, man, that's what marriage is about. That's what finding the one is about. Not finding someone that's perfectly compatible with you, but finding someone that you know loves you without a shadow of the doubt. And that's what we're going to be looking at today is not so much, you know, how do I find this, this one person out there, but how do we stay committed to them? Because we know that it is a tough road ahead to say till death do us part and to go day in and day out to choose them, even though when you feel like there's some better options out there. When you are, then maybe you have a good couple days and you're like, maybe they are the one for me. This is great. And then you look over and he's picking his teeth with his car keys. And you're like, he's definitely not, he's definitely not the one. My mom was right. But here we are. I'm going to love you through it. You and your toothpick for keys. Um, but seriously, what we're going to be looking at today is in Proverbs chapter uh, 7, verse 6. And what we're going to be looking at is, is King Solomon. And he's writing this, this letter to kind of put us, in, put us in perspective of what it looks like to go into a relationship and then to come face to face with what we could think are better options. Then when we get into our relationships and we're committed, but then the hard days come and the tough situations come, how do we stay committed to this person on the other side of us? If you have a Bible, we're going to be, like I said, Proverbs chapter 7, starting in verse 6. Take a look at this. He says, while I was at the window of my house, looking through the curtain, I saw some naive young men and one in particular who lacked common sense. He was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman, strolling down the path by her house. It was at twilight in the evening as deep darkness fell. So what Solomon's doing here is he's using this story to kind of show us what it looks like to be met with temptation as we go into our relationship. So he just has this set up here. And what we know is there's this man looking out the window and he's doing what we all do. He's people watching. If you think you have windows in your house for anything other than that, it's not so that the sun can come in, it's so that we can see what's going on outside. And there he is, he's just looking through the window and he can tell something's not right. One of the guys is standing out to him. It reminds me, a couple months ago, my wife called me and there was somebody out in front of our house and she said, this, this looks a little, I don't know what's going on out here, but she noticed this guy and he was walking up and down the street and he was looking over his shoulder, left and right, like looking back this way and he would look this way. He was his own lookout man. 
If you want to know you're in a bad spot, it's when you don't even have a lookout, man. You should not go through with what you're about to go through with. But he's walking, and then he gets to the end of the road, and then he stops, and he gives it one more. He looks left. He looks right. And then he reaches down, and he grabs a metal fence post, rips it from the ground, and then takes off running down the street. Did you, no, I didn't expect that either. But that's the feeling that you get of, of what's going on here. He's looking out the window and he just knows it in his bones. Something's different about this guy. Because it says there's a bunch of men and they're going this way, but then he starts drifting back. He starts straying away from the path and it's getting darker, it's night. So he's trying to do it in secret. And then he crosses the road right where this immoral woman lives. Look what happens next. It says, the woman approached him, seductively dressed and sly of heart. She was the brash, rebellious type, never content to stay at home. She is often in the streets and markets, soliciting at every corner. She threw her arms around him and kissed him. And with a brazen look, she said, I've just made my peace offerings and fulfilled my vows. You are the one I was looking for. I came out to find you and here you are. Are. You may not have heard it here, but what she just laid down was maybe the greatest pickup line of her time. I'm gonna translate it for you. Basically, she said, You went out there and said, You will not believe this. I was just in there praying, praying God would send me a hunk of a man, and I promise you, no lie, I opened my eyes, boom, there you are standing right in front of me. It's an incredible line. It's better than the lines I use, which are mostly recycled lines that I picked up from Fresh Prince like 10 years ago. <laughs> but seriously, I'll give you one. Um, I come home sometimes and I'll be like, hey, Steph, your feet hurt? She'll be like, no, why? Because you've been running through my mind all day. <laughs> come here. You take that one with you. You use it this week. Just give me credit. <laughs> but he's in a tough spot. He was not prepared for this level of flirting. My man is lost in the sauce, and she's just going to lay it on thicker and thicker and thicker. Keep reading. She said, my bed is spread with beautiful blankets, with colorful sheets of Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with mirth, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink our fill of love until morning. Let's enjoy each other's caresses, for my husband is not home. He's away on a long trip. He's taken a wallet full of money with him and won't return until later this month. So she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. He followed her at once, like an ox going to the slaughter. He was like a stag caught in a trap awaiting the arrow that would pierce its heart. He was like a bird flying into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. Not exactly the Disney ending with this one. There's no last minute moment of clarity or integrity where they just kind of shake out of it like, oh my goodness, I can't believe we almost did something here. Good night, my lady. Good day, kind sir. No, it says that they are in a trap. They've, they've backpedaled too far into it and there is no way out. But it wasn't just this one moment at the very end to walk away. There were so many little decisions before that moment happened. And we all have them, whether on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, we have these fork in the road decisions 
where we come to these spots and we make decisions, little by little, either to move in this direction or that direction. And maybe you know what I'm talking about. They can come at any time, maybe at work, and you're going through and you're doing your thing and you get up to go get a drink of water. And as you're walking to get a drink, you, you notice them. And you see them just kind of sitting there in their cubicle and you think, wow, they're, they're kind of cute. But then you don't think much of it and you just keep going. You get a drink of water and you go back. But then the next time you notice that they look up at you. And now it moves from, well, I thought they were cute to I think they might think I'm cute. And that makes you feel a certain way. And then you run into them in the break room. And they're not only kind of good looking, but they're kind of funny. They made you laugh. And then it moves to, hey, do you want to just grab lunch sometime? Just here at work. And then it escalates from lunch to dinner. And then you're standing on a doorstep trying to understand how you got to this moment. There's these little decisions, these little fork in the road choices that we have to make. It can happen on our screens all of the time. Maybe, maybe it was this week and you were just sitting there thinking, I wonder what my ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend is up to these days. I don't even care, but I'm just going to look. If you don't care, why would you look? Nothing good is going to come from this idea of, I'm just going to look. And you look. And you think, huh, I wonder if they're doing okay. You know what? I'm going to reach out just to make sure, it, you know, it's the Christian thing to do, make sure we're all good. I'm going to take them to lunch, make sure they know I'm a different person now. Wow, this, you know, I just want to make sure. And it's these little decisions, little by little. And I know that there's in the room right now, maybe you're living in this right now. This is still one of those fresh wounds that we were just talking about. So you know how real this is that we get into these spots little by little. I mean, we don't, we don't know a, a lot about what's going on here between the, the, the woman and the man, like the, their backstories. But chances are there's these little things that they were going through that brought them to this space of how did we get here? Like as they're going through this, Solomon had to be thinking about his dad, the guy who wrote this. His dad, David, fell into this same trap that he's talking about in this story. His dad was on a roof that he shouldn't have been standing on, looking at a woman that he should not have been looking at. And then he called for her. And he slept with her, and she ended up getting pregnant. And he had to actually have this man, her husband, killed so that he could walk away from all of it. And so Solomon's writing this knowing, like, this is not okay. Please stop. That's what this is. It's a warning to say, as you go through life, as you have these split decisions, stop. Focus. Pay attention. Every little decision matters. Every little moment that we don't think or downplay, it matters. And it's either moving us closer towards where we want to be or further away. And at the end of the story, Solomon gets very direct on what we need to do. And look at how he closes out the story. He says, so listen to me, my sons, and pay attention to my words. Don't let your hearts stray toward her. Don't wander down her wayward path. Don't let your hearts stray towards her. Don't wander down her wayward path. What does it look like for your heart to stray? It's to leave your heart unchecked. 
You see, the Bible says that out of everything in the world, out of everything in the universe, our hearts are deceitful above all else. Think about that for a second, how dark and messed up your heart is. Your heart is the one that is constantly whispering in your ear of better options, of like, oh, no, no, it's not that big of a deal. No, it's fine if you, if you just send a message. It's fine if you just go there. Your heart will allow you to justify whatever emotions that you're going through. Your heart will even bring in extra people to bring more people on its side. Like your heart will say stuff like this, just trust your gut. Knowing good and well, your heart and your gut are the same thing. But now he's got numbers. Like just, tr just trust it will be fine. Like don't get caught up in it. It's, it's, it's no big deal. Just, just keep going. And that's what we saw here. Of in, I think that the, the woman in the story had to have so many whispers going into her mind. And we get kind of a, a backstory of it, right? As, she's, as the story's being unfolded. It says that she goes out to meet him. And the first thing that she says is, my husband is away. And not that he's just away. He's on a business trip. But he's going to be gone for a good, long time. And so you can already begin to hear the whispers that are in her mind where her heart is kind of leaving, being unchecked. And the maybes begin to kind of circle throughout her mind of maybe there is a better option out there. Maybe my husband doesn't love me like he once did. Maybe he cares more about work than he cares about me. Why does he leave me here all alone anyways? I feel so lonely. I just want to deal with this feeling of being alone. And then eventually you get to this spot of believing all of those lies in your head and you think, Maybe this is it. Maybe this will be the thing that fulfills me. That's why over and over and over again, the Bible says, protect your heart. Protect your heart. It's the most dangerous thing if it's left unchecked. But how do you do that? Look what it says in Psalm 119. It says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's a translation for this. I have hidden your, your word in my heart so that I won't do dumb stuff. That's what it's saying. It's this idea that, that the heart, left unchecked, is, will stray constantly. It will move you in place, to places that you never thought that you would find yourself in. So it says, no, no, don't do that. Instead, store in your heart the word of God so that when you find yourself face-to-face -face in different situations... Instead of just the one voice, instead of that internal dialogue that says, go for it, just do it, it's not that big of a deal, you now have God's word speaking as an overflow of your heart and to combat all the things that are begin, begin to be whispered into your ear. Like we know how practical this is and how true it is how words can stick with us and they just come out all the time. Like maybe between you or a group of your friends, there's a movie that you constantly quote or a TV show. That no matter what situation you find yourself in, you can bring a line from that show or that movie into play. It, for me, it's Remember the Titans. We can be in any conversation, something could happen, and I can bring it back to Remember the Titans. Attitude reflects leadership. You're overcooking my grits. It, it, any, it doesn't matter what is going on. There will be something that sparks a Remember the Titans reference. In the same way, God is saying, your heart, it's gross. It's deceitful. It can't be trusted. But 
The good news is I have an answer to it. I have something that is stronger. I have something that is more powerful than even your heart, and it is my word. That's why I want you to store it up. And to store it up, you have to be putting stuff into it. You have to be putting uh, investments into your heart. This is why we talk so much about reading your Bible every single day, subscribing to DBR, our daily Bible reading, so that when you wake up, that's what you're putting into your heart. It's not just lies. It's not just whispers. And now you have something to go at. Whenever those situations come up, whenever you're tempted to do this thing or that thing, no, Scripture just kind of pours out like, no, 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 you can't do that. Like in Ephesians 5, no, I can't do that because I've been called to respect my spouse. I, I can't. Whenever those situations begin to come up in your heart, you begin to think, no, no, no. I've been called to love you like I love myself. And all of these, now you have this second voice that is so much stronger and so much more powerful than that one voice seemed to be so loud. But now you have the word of God in your hearts. Anyone else excited about reading the Bible this week? Because you know that there's a response there. You know that there's an answer there to no matter what you find yourself in. And the final thing that, that Solomon leaves us with is don't wander. Don't wander. This might be the most practical, life-saving advice that you will ever get. Don't wander. If you don't believe me that wandering is a problem, when you leave here, go to Target. <laughs> I dare you. Just go. No list. You don't even need a cart. Just start walking. Aisle to aisle. You will black out. You'll come to, you'll be at the cashier and she'll $147.67. You're like, what happened? I didn't even come here for anything. Exactly. You were wandering. And, and I just want to make it clear, that was not a jab at women. I love Target. Um, if I can't get it at Target, I don't know if I need it. Uh, I'm, I mean, and, and the Bass Pro Shop. Um, that's where I spend a lot of my time, too, just hunting stuff. Um, I'm not fooling anybody. Um, I'm at Target a lot. Uh, I love it so much. But it's this same idea that if we begin to wander in our relationships, if we just wander through life, wandering aimlessly, it's just a matter of time before we end up with things that we were never looking for and we never wanted in the first place. Don't wander. And that's why the, the biggest and best thing that we can do as we go through life and just wandering, because no one wakes up and makes an intentional decision that today is the day. Today's the day that I'm gonna move a little bit further in that direction where I'm gonna find myself in that trap. No one thinks today is the day that I'm gonna blow up my life, but it's just wandering and wandering and wandering. That's why we need a plan. We need to have a plan in every aspect of our lives, especially our relationships. Like it's wild to me the things that we put plans around and things that we don't. Sometimes some of us, you know, we put plans around our finances. We put plans around uh, our workout routines. That's a good example. If you wanna see someone and know the difference of the problem of wandering, go to the gym. You will see people who are wandering they have no idea what they're doing. And the reason I know these people is because I'm those people. Just wandering around, looking at machines, leaning on stuff, like, huh, that's how you use that. I wonder what I'm gonna do today. Maybe biceps, no, 
Triceratops. No, that's not a, that's not, that's a dinosaur for sure. Um, no, the people that are in shape, the men and women that are in shape, they have a plan. They're committed to it. They know what they're going to do. They know what they're going to say yes to. They know what they're going to say no to. It's the same in every aspect of your life. When it comes to your relationship, set up a plan of these are the things I know that I'm going to say yes to. These are the things I know that I'm going to say no to. I'm going to remove the possibility of me being in a situation where I'm unable to say no. I'm going to protect myself and my relationship, and I'm not even going to go there. It works on every aspect of your life, like your phone, social media. There is an explore page. You have no business on an explore. You're not an explorer. You're not Dora. You got nothing. You're not searching for a cure of something. You're looking for things that you have no business looking for. Don't even go there. Stay on the homepage. Have a plan. It's from the book of, of TLC. Don't go chasing waterfalls. <laughs> Stick to the rivers and the lakes that you know. All right? Can we tell? We can't celebrate TLC, can we? There's young people in the room that have no idea, and you have no business knowing. Don't even go and search or Google that. But have a plan. Have a plan. And as you begin to kind of go through life, if we can just do these two things that Solomon points out, if we can make it a daily habit, a daily part of our routine, that I'm going to open up God's word, and I'm going to let it speak to me, I'm going to store it up in my heart so that I have a response to no matter what comes my way, and then I'm not going to wander. I'm not going to leave any wiggle room for me to find myself in a spot that I don't want to be in. I'm committed. And it's not only just me saying that I'm going to have these plans, I'm going to say yes to this and no to this, I'm going to share it with the person I'm in a relationship with. So now you can hold me accountable. This is what I'm saying yes to. This is what I am saying no to. And I'm telling you, the, the beauty of the Christian marriage just keeps shining and shining through. It completely destroys this idea of there's a better option out there for me somewhere. Because here's what it does. If you're in a marriage, you guys are both loving Jesus. Here's what you get to do. When I think of a better option, I think of a better you. When I think of a better option, I think of a better you. I don't think of someone down the street. I don't think of someone at work. No. I believe God is committed to doing a life-changing work in you, and I'm going to see him do it. So when I think of a deeper love and a stronger love, I see it coming from you, and I'm praying God would do it. When I think of more safety, more security, when I think of anything, I think of God giving it to you because I know that he started a work in you. There's no way I'm looking away from this. I'm committed to seeing it because I believe God started a miracle in you. No way I'm looking away. Is there anyone in the room today that is with someone, and there's no way you're looking away because you can't wait to see what God is going to do in their lives and how they're going to grow and how they're going to change. When you think of a better option, you just think of a better you. That You get glimpses of it on this side, but you know, oh, this is, just a, this is just a little taste. And then day by day and month by month and year by year, this thing is just getting better and better and better. I'm committed to you. And here's, here's the unbelievable, just over-the-top thing that comes with following Jesus and being in a Jesus gospel-centered relationship. It's that I can be for you, I can root for you, I can cheer for you, I can pray for you, I can believe that God is going to do an incredible work within you, but I'm not dependent on you. 
I'm not dependent on you to fulfill me. I'm not looking for you to carry the weight of my soul. I've already found someone. His name is Jesus. He's decided that he is the one that can and will carry the weight of my soul. I love the way Tim Keller says it. Look at this. It says, the gospel can fill our hearts with God's love so that you can handle it when your spouse fails to love you as he or she should. This is the gospel. The good news of Jesus that is so heavy and so powerful that it can take something as deceitful and broken and wicked as your heart and purify it from the inside out. And it can only happen with this kind of love. This is, this is the good news, that Jesus, the Son of God, would leave heaven. He would come here for me and you. And he would live this perfect life and then he would go to a cross and he would die for us. But then he would come back three days later, and when he did, he defeated sin and death. But also what he did was restored and removed everything that was in the way between me and you and him having a relationship. And he said, now that you have this, let your soul feel its worth. Let you know that there is a God who loves you. There's a God that came for you. That there's a God that's here for you and that nothing can take that from you. And when we get to this spot where we know that we are worth dying for, we're completely content. No matter what relationship we find ourselves in, what relationships we find ourselves out of, single, divorce, we can come to this spot and know that I am worth dying for. I am worth dying for, that I'm the one that he left heaven for. I, I don't think you guys are getting it. So see this, I am the one. Say it with me, say it out loud, I am the one. One more time, we're gonna keep going. I am the one. I'm the one that he left heaven for. I'm the one that he went to the cross for. I'm the one whose sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. I'm the one that he knows by name. I'm the one, he's counted every hair on my head. I'm the one that he chose before this world started spinning. I'm the one that has a relationship with God the Father. I'm the one that is his son. I'm the one who's his daughter. I'm the one that's been adopted. You're the one. When it moves past this idea of just general, but it becomes personal. And you know that God died not just for the world, but for you. And when God looks at you, he says, you are enough. You are loved. You are forgiven. Let that just flow on top of you today, that there is a creator who loves you so much. And he loves you like a father loves a son. He loves you like a father loves a daughter. I got three kids in, at home. And parents in the room, we get a glimpse of the kind of love we're talking about here with God our Father. And I got three of them, Campbell, Reese, and Veda. And there's never a time that they've been growing up that I thought of them as different people, or I wish they were like someone else, or I thought of someone else's kids, not for a second, when I think of uh, a better, I think of them being better. I think of them growing up in maturity because I catch glimpses of it here on this side. And I think of my daughter, Campbell, and how beautiful she is and how perfect she is and how just she's the most creative person I've ever met in my life. And she's so focused on justice and fairness that it brings her to this spot of just being overwhelmed at times. But I see a day where God just works in her and her heart becomes just, just blown up 
And she has this passion for justice, and she goes out and she changes the world. And I can't wait to see it. And I can't wait to be there to cheer on every step of the way and to encourage her, never looking away. I believe God is going to do a work. And when I think of my son, King Reese, and how he is right now, and the fears that he has, and the anxiety that he works through, and I see him struggling. But oh man, you, I know there's a day where he begins to walk in confidence because he knows that he has a father in heaven who loves him, who owns the place, and who has given him the keys and to say, go. And I love just to see glimpses of it from Reese the Beast because I know it's in there. And I know one day he's going to have a voice and one day he's going to speak from that spot of knowing what it's like. And I think of our youngest, Veda, just fire, just all passion, all the time. And it's amazing and dangerous. And it gets the best of other people through her violence. <laughs> but I see a day where that love, that fierceness, that leadership, God gets a hold of. And then as it grows and as it matures, it's like nothing I've ever seen before. There's no way I'm looking away from that. There's no way I'm not committed to those three. There's no way I'm not cheering them on. Or, or There's no, for a second, I'm not thinking of anybody else. I just want to help them become all that they've been created to be because I see greatness in them. That is the way God looks at you. You are his, his son, his daughter, when he looks at you, he doesn't look away for a second or he doesn't try to turn you around and be like, hey, could you do, do it just kind of like they do? No, he looks at you and he says, I see it. I see your pain right now that you're going through in that relationship. I see your broken heart. I see your loneliness. I see everything that you're struggling with. But if you could just turn a little bit my way, you would know that I have something here that is so much greater I have something for you that'll carry you through not just this world, but for all of eternity. I got something for you that can overpower any situation and I wanna give it to you. God, our Father. It's, there's no fear of a better option right now. Jesus is the best option we will ever find and it's far more than we ever deserved. And it's on the table right now. We can respond. We can choose him, and we already know that he chose us. Today can be that day. I just want to pray right now. Pray over all of us, and I believe God is still at work. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for today. God, thank you for who you say we are. God, allow that to be the voice that is the loudest Allow that to be what just goes toe-to-toe -to -toe and then overtakes the whispers, the ideas, the things that try to move us away from what you have for us. And God, we believe that you started this. You started a good work, and you're going to see it until it's complete. So God, give us the confidence today to walk in that newness of life. God, give us the, the courage to take the step. Give us the courage to respond to you. And God, I pray today is like a day of no other, where your love just overwhelms us and wrecks us, and we can walk in confidence knowing we are yours, and there's nothing 
no one, nothing that can take us from you. There is nothing that can define us because you already have. God, fill us with your love. Meet us with your grace. Pour, us, pour all of it out onto us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.